So we are studying 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 this fall, talking about spiritual gifts. And I thought it would be helpful to start off by kind of putting spiritual gifts in their, in their broader context, the broader context of the Christian life. And let me put it this way. When you first put your trust in Jesus Christ, remember that day when you first trusted him to forgive you for all of your sins and to start changing you inside and to, to satisfy your hearts fully with, with his presence. When you first put your trust in Jesus, one of the amazing things that he did was to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amazing to think about that. The Holy Spirit is fully God, the third person of the Trinity. And because you're trusting Jesus Christ, you have God, the Spirit, living inside of you. And the Holy Spirit does beautiful things for us. He can pour God's love into our hearts. He can teach us the scriptures, help us understand what the Bible's saying. He can convict us of sin when we start to get deceived and start to wander away. He can convict us and bring us back. He can comfort us when we're feeling lonely. He can give us such joy in Christ that sin's temptations just lose their power. How can they compete with that joy? The Holy Spirit does beautiful things in us. But not only all those, the Holy Spirit also gives us spiritual gifts. He starts to give us spiritual gifts and he will continue to do that throughout our lives. And these gifts are beautiful and they impact the people around us. They can strengthen and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, just like Taruna strengthened and encouraged many of you with what she shared from Jeremiah this morning. So they can strengthen and encourage our brothers and sisters and they can love and care for and feed and clothe and share the gospel with lost people so that many others come into the joy of knowing God through Jesus. So what are some of these gifts? Let me just remind you, this isn't an exhaustive list, but here's some of them. There's the gift of serving, where the Holy Spirit gives you love and compassion and compels you to, to serve somebody or some people in some tangible, concrete way. There's the gift of prophecy, where the Holy Spirit gives you a message from God that when you share it with others, they will be strengthened, built up, comforted, encouraged, challenged. There's the gift of teaching, where you're able to explain the Bible to people and they get strengthened, they get built up as a result of it. There's the gift of leadership, where, where you are able to pull together people and maybe a group of believers to, to pursue advancing God's will together. Leadership, such an important gift. There's the gift of healing, you pray for someone who's sick, and as you're praying, God comes and heals them. There's the gift of tongues, where God enables you to pray or to praise him in a language you've never learned, and as you do that, your faith gets strengthened, you're built up. Then there's the gift of interpretation of tongues, where God enables you to understand what somebody else is praying or how they're praising, so that you can then speak that interpretation and other people understand and get their faith built up also. Now these gifts, spiritual gifts, that the Holy Spirit gives to us bring great benefit to God's people and to the world. And that's why we're spending some weeks learning about them by studying 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And the passage we're going to study this morning, focus on this morning, is chapter 14, verses six through 25. 
And as I was studying this passage this week, it struck me that, that every one of us, depending on your background, every one of us is going to get challenged by Paul in one of two different ways. Again, depending on your background, here, here's what I mean. Some of you are from more charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds. And many charismatic Pentecostal churches have lots of speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, singing in tongues, without interpretation. But in today's passage, Paul is going to say that the wonderful gift of tongues, when it's heard publicly, should be interpreted. And for those of you who have a background where there's been lots of tongues without interpretation and, and you've enjoyed that and maybe there's been singing in the spirit, and th this is gonna be a bit of a challenge for you. Okay, so, so put on your, okay, I'm ready to be challenged outfit or whatever you do, uh, because Paul is going to challenge your background some and my encouragement to you would be to study this passage. Study 1 Corinthians 14. I know this is gonna be a new thought for some of you. I would just appeal to you to, to look at the scriptures. Others of you are from more non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal backgrounds. And when you think of the gift of tongues, you just think, that is the strangest thing. I cannot imagine how that could possibly be of, of any benefit to anyone. It just seems kind of weird to me. And if that's your background and how you might respond to the gift of tongues, Paul's gonna challenge you this morning by telling you how much he loves the gift of tongues. Paul loves praying in tongues and singing in tongues, and so he's gonna challenge those of you who maybe think the gift of tongues is a bit strange. So, Grace Church, we're all gonna get challenged today, all right, every one of us, are you ready? Here we go. Let's start with verses six through 13, and Paul answers this question. What should always happen when tongues are heard publicly? That's the answer that he's giving in verses six through 13. Look at verse six, let's start there. He says, now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. So Paul wants them to understand that if, if he, the Apostle Paul, comes into their meeting and speaks in tongues, there will be no benefit to them unless there's something they can understand, like a revelation or a teaching or a prophecy. Without that, no one will gain anything if Paul comes to them speaking in tongues. Now why not? Paul gives two music, in, music instrument illustrations in verses seven and eight. Start with verse seven. He says, if even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? So I try to think, Imagine you're gonna go hear like your favorite band, your favorite musical group playing, doing a concert. Okay, and you, you love this musical group and you're thinking, I hope they play this song and oh, this, I'd really like that one and then oh, let's not forget about that one. So you're ready to go to this concert, hear your favorite songs and they start playing and there's just this jumble of bleh, bleh, bleh. 
I don't recognize any of this. Think of how disappointed you would be, okay? Second illustration from music, verse eight. If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Okay, soldiers used to respond to the bugle cry in terms of whether they were supposed to advance or whether they're supposed to retreat. So imagine you're there, you're a soldier with all these other soldiers, and you're ready to hear this little <laughs> comes across the bugle, you're thinking, what was that? What are we supposed to do? Nobody would know. So you see the point Paul is trying to make here? Then he draws the conclusion, verse nine. So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. Now, notice Paul is assuming here that the person praying in tongues is speaking in a language that nobody else understands. Now, I want to point out, remember in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the tongues gift that was given then was foreign languages that were given because other people listening were from those foreign countries and they could understand. That's how they heard the gospel. There was no need for an interpretation because they already understood that language, right? So the gift of tongues in Acts chapter two, same gift of tongues, different kind than what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 14. Here, Paul is talking about a gift of tongues where when it is spoken, He's assuming no one in the church gathering understands at all. And Paul is saying that if you do bring a word of tongues and there is no interpretation, then it's like you're, you're talking into the air. In other words, there will be no benefit that will come. Paul gives another illustration. Verses 10 and 11. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Okay, Paul says, verse 10, lots of different languages in the world. I mean, I don't know, there's probably dozens of different languages that we speak here at Grace Church. There's Tagalog, there's Mexican, there's Portuguese, there's Arabic, there's German, there's Spanish, there's English, there's Russian, there's Albanian, okay, right? All, all, all different languages are here this morning. All those languages have meaning. But if somebody who knows one of those languages is speaking that to me and I don't know that language, it has no meaning to me. That's Paul's point. They understand, they're speaking something that they mean, no meaning to me, no benefit if I don't understand it. Then Paul draws a conclusion, verses 12 and 13. So, shows a conclusion is being drawn. With yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Love is more important than spiritual gifts. If you're pursuing gifts without love, they will be nothing, worthless, worse than worthless. Remember chapter 14, verse one, pursue love, and for the sake of love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So we should strive to excel in building up the church. That's our longing, and we know that God gives spiritual gifts as one beautiful way to build up the church. So therefore, in verse 13, Paul says, therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray 
that he may interpret. Uninterpreted tongues does not build up brothers and sisters. It does build up the one who's speaking, praying, praising in tongues, and that's a good thing for that person. Nothing wrong with that. It does build up the person speaking, but it does not build up our brothers and sisters. And so, Paul says in verse 13, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Now, God may give the interpretation to the person speaking, who's just brought the word in tongues, or God may bring the interpretation to someone else in the church body, but the point is that there should always be an interpretation. Are you seeing that? Paul's saying this again and again and again. Here's this illustration. Let me try this illustration. Let me try this illustration. How about that illustration? Point, point, point. You see Paul is going on and on and on to make the point that there should always be interpretation if tongues are spoken publicly. Let's say that Jesus has called you to to build a building. Just an illustration. He's called you to build a building and he gives you gifts to help you build that building. He gives you cement and he gives you bricks. And he says that cement, to build the building, cement should always be used to join bricks together. If you use cement to join bricks together, the building is gonna be built. So cement should always be used to join bricks together. Now, what if you take that gift of cement and instead of using it to join bricks together, you just like stir it. I think I'm just gonna stir this cement. Maybe I'll stir it this way. Maybe I'll just go back and stirring it this way. Okay, this is a gift he gave me, I'm stirring. Maybe I'll, I'll scoop some up and like plop it down. That's kind of fun, plop, plop, okay, okay. How much, how much building is happening while you're doing that? None, right? Because you're not using the gift in the way that Jesus told you to use it. He said, when you use the gift of cement, Use it for joining bricks together, and when you do that, then the building will be built. Same with tongues, okay? When it comes to building up God's people, if tongues aren't interpreted, it's like stirring cement. Stirring, 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 but nothing is being built. The church is not being built up. God's people are not being strengthened and helped. Do you see that? Don't just stir cement. We want to build the church. So, what should always happen when tongues are heard publicly? They should always be interpreted, is what Paul is saying. The next question Paul wants to answer is, okay, why is interpretation so important? He's already hinted at that, but let's just get really clear on that. Why is interpretation so important? That's his point in verses 14 through 19. Start with verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, notice one implication of this. He mentions praying in a tongue, and it does seem that most tongues, at least, if not all, is, is God words, speaking to God. It's praying to God, it's praising God, it's singing adoration to God. 
That's what it seems like most tongues is, which means that interpretations then will not so much be messages from God to us, but prayers from us to God. And those interpretations will bless and benefit and strengthen God's people. And again, verse 14, Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, two things are happening. One is, my spirit prays. What does that mean? I think that means that simply the Holy Spirit is helping them to pray in a language that they've never learned before. And that builds them up as they're speaking it, builds them up in faith as we saw back in chapter or verse four when Aaron preached that last Friday. So their spirit is praying, but their mind, Paul says, is unfruitful. That does not mean they've stopped thinking. It doesn't mean they've lost their minds. It just simply means that they are not able to understand what it is that they are saying. That's how tongues works. Then verse 15, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Okay, this is a tough verse. This is one of two very tough verses in this section for today. I'm about 70% sure of my interpretation, okay? So you do your study, all right? But let me share with you what I think this is saying and why. What helped me understand this verse was to remember that just two verses earlier, Paul had talked about somebody praying in tongues, asking God to give him the interpretation, okay? So I think what's going on here is Paul is saying that in church gatherings, he will pray with his spirit in tongues, and then he will ask God for the interpretation. And when God gives the interpretation with his mind, he will pray that interpretation in the common language so everybody can understand and be built up as a result. That's what I think Paul is saying here. Same with singing. Paul says he will sing with his spirit in tongues, okay? And then he's gonna ask God for the interpretation and God will give him the interpretation and then he with his mind will sing that interpretation so people can be built up because they understand. Now again, of course, the interpretation might be given to somebody else in the church body. It doesn't have to be the one speaking. But see, the point is that tongues should always be interpreted. It needs to be understood. Whether it's praying, whether it's singing, you pray for the interpretation, you'll speak that with your mind, people will be blessed and strengthened. Then in verse 16 and 17, he explains what happens when there is no interpretation. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Okay, one question is, who are these outsiders that Paul's talking about? And the Greek word is, has a pretty broad range of meaning, and it could mean visitors to the church. It could mean those who are not yet trusting Jesus who come in. It also could mean those who haven't received the gift of interpretation. But either way, Paul's point is clear. If you give thanks to God in tongues without any interpretation, no one's gonna be able to say, amen when you finish praying. 
because they're not going to know what you prayed. They won't be built up. You're just stirring the cement, if that's what's happening. Okay, now at this point, I think Paul realizes people who, he's gone on, I mean, he's saying this again and again and again, in one way, another way, another way, another way, again and again and again. And I think at this point, Paul might be thinking that his readers might be thinking, maybe Paul just doesn't like the gift of tongues. Man, he's just going on and on about this, come on. And so look at what Paul says in verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, now here's the challenge to those who are from uh, not so charismatic, not so Pentecostal backgrounds, where you just think tongues are just strange. Just the oddest thing. How could that possibly benefit anybody? But Paul would want you to understand that he speaks in tongues more than any of the people at Corinth. And they, it seems like they spoke in tongues a lot. Paul loved praying in tongues. He loved singing in tongues. He thanks God that he speaks in tongues more than all of them. And this is the same Paul who wrote the book of Romans. Okay, this is the same Paul who loves doctrine, loves the scriptures. And yet the same Paul who wrote the book of Romans and much of the rest of the New Testament loved speaking, praying, praising in tongues. Now this is not because tongues is the highest spiritual experience somebody can have. It is not. Tongues is not the highest experience spiritually that you can have. The highest experience you can have spiritually is the gift of the Holy Spirit showing you the glory of Jesus in the scriptures, helping you feel the glory of Jesus revealed in the scriptures. That's the, the highest experience of, of Jesus that we can have in this life. And that's given to every believer, okay? So tongues is not the highest spiritual experience. That's not why Paul loves it. But he loves it because it's a gift from God. And we should love every gift from God. And so let that challenge those of you for whom tongues is just a strange thing to think about. And it might put some fear into you possibly. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Okay, so are we all feeling suitably challenged this morning? All right. Now back to verse 19. Or Here's what he says in response to how much he loves tongues. He says, nevertheless... Even though I love the gift of tongues so much, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Whoa. Now, this is shocking. And again, those of you who are from a background where singing in the spirit, having tongues that's not interpreted, and see, when those things happen, I think people mean well. I think it's nothing demonic going on. People mean well. I just, I think we need to study 1 Corinthians 14 more closely. But I, I know the pain. See, I've, I've got backgrounds in both of those worlds. And, and I've, I've had times where singing in the spirit and it's like God meets, it's powerful. And yet my conviction from 1 Corinthians 14 now is that that's not the best way to go. Uh, and so if your background is that where that's been helpful and encouraging and you've powerfully met the Lord in those settings, I understand this could be a little bit of a tension for you this morning, but I would just simply appeal to you to study 1 Corinthians 14, 
Take time this week, read it over, email me your questions. Let's talk about this. Because see, we want all of the Holy Spirit that we can possibly have here at Grace Church, don't we? All of them. Everything the Holy Spirit has, as much as we can possibly have it, we want it here. And it strikes me that, wouldn't it make sense that the more we honor the Holy Spirit's word in the word of God, the more of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit we will have. We don't want to quench the Holy Spirit or grieve the Holy Spirit by disregarding what he says in his word. We want to follow what he says in his word. So my appeal to you is keep studying, let's keep talking, ask your questions. Nevertheless, verse 19, in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I thought of this illustration. Imagine that you have a, a flat bike tire, a flat bike tire, and you have two pumps, two bike pumps. One of them is uninterpreted tongues, uninterpreted tongues. Now the, the, the handle part of that pump works just fine, okay? But the problem is no air is coming out of the tube at the end. I mean, you, you're pumping it, no. So, you take that and you fasten it to the, to the flat tire and you, you start pumping and the pump's working fine, but, but there's no air going into the tire. So you can pump that 100 times, you can pump that 1,000 times, you can pump that 10,000 times. What's happening to the tire? Come on, church, nothing, okay? The, church, the, the tire just stays flat. But so you pull out the other, the other pump. Interpreted tongues, okay, that the handle works good in this, but psh, there's air coming out at the end. So you put that on the tire. Psh, psh, after two pumps, like boom, boom. Wow, three, four, five. Like you're all set. Five simple pumps. That tire is full, built up. Make sense? Now let's apply that to what Paul is saying. If you speak 10,000 words of uninterpreted tongues, the people around you will still be spiritually flat. But five simple words of understandable teaching and they'll be full, filled, built up. Do you see that? Man, Paul is, by the Holy Spirit, he's just brilliant or devastating, right? So, so I, I am very sympathetic. If you're thinking like, wait a minute. Okay, just church, read the Bible. Read the Bible, let the, let the potter, ooh, let, let the potter mold you as he wants to mold you. One more question Paul has. How can we, we most powerfully impact unbelievers? Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. So the church at Corinth clearly had been children uh, in their thinking. And we can kind of read between the lines and connect the dots and get a sense of what was going on at that church. It seems like they thought tongues was the most powerful way that God moves and works. And that tongues is the ultimate experience of the Holy Spirit. And so the most important thing you could do when you come together, if that's the most powerful way God works, let's just all start speaking in tongues because that's the most power we're gonna have. And so everybody's speaking in tongues when they got together. They thought the more tongues in their meetings, the more blessed 
they were, the more God's presence was there. But Paul says that's childish thinking. He wants us to have mature thinking. He wants us to think carefully about the scriptures. And, and to help them do that and to help us do that, he quotes from the book of Isaiah, right here in verse 21. That's a quote from Isaiah. He starts off saying, in the law it is written. Now law just simply refers to the whole Old Testament there. But he says, quoting from Isaiah, in the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Here's what's going on as the background to that verse from Isaiah. Israel has been sinning against God and God says that to warn Israel, He's going to bring them a foreign army, a foreign army, which is speaking a foreign language that they don't understand. And that army is going to attack them as a warning to them, but God says, even so, they will not listen. Israel will not listen. So that's the, that's the background to this verse. And then in verse 22 and following, Paul applies that quote from Isaiah to spiritual gifts. Verse 22, he says, thus... Tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. Okay, this is the second really hard verse in this passage for today. Let's take those one at a time. See if I can explain what I think is going on here. He says, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for believers. Now, what kind of sign is he talking about, we have to ask. Remember, the quotation from Isaiah is talking about God's judgment coming upon Israel. So just like an army speaking in foreign tongues was a sign of God's judgment to Israel, uninterpreted tongues are a sign of God's judgment to unbelievers. It's not that all tongues are a sign of God's judgment to unbelievers, just uninterpreted tongues, keeping with the theme and the flow of the passage. Then Paul goes on. He says, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. Now, prophecy can't be a sign of judgment for believers, because we've already read prophecy brings great benefit and great blessing to believers, right? So Paul must be saying that prophecy is a sign of Blessing, not of judgment, but of blessing to believers. So putting those two together, Paul is saying that uninterpreted tongues is a sign of God's judgment to unbelievers, whereas prophecy is a sign of God's blessing to believers. Are you with me? Okay, just you keep studying this. And then he applies this to verses 23 in verses 23 and 25, he applies this. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Now just a little pause here. The reason Paul talks about the whole church speaking in tongues is not because the whole church can or ought to speak in tongues. Remember, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul very clearly teaches that no one gift is given to everyone. 
not tongues, not prophecy, not healing. God gives different gifts to different people. So tongues will be given to some, not to all. It's not, not that the tongue speakers are God's favorites or anything like that. He just, in his wisdom, disperses them. But Paul wants to make a point by talking about everybody speaking in tongues. So here's the point. Let's say that next Friday, you bring a friend with you to here to Grace Church who's not yet trusting Jesus. You're so excited about having them come and, and hear the good news of Jesus. And, and they walk in, you sit down with them, and, and then everybody starts speaking in uninterpreted tongues. Everybody speaking in uninterpreted tongues taking place. Now, what will your friend think? They will think we are all out of our minds. This is what Paul says, right? It's not my idea. He says, will they not say that you are out of your minds? They will not hear the gospel. They will not hear the good news of Jesus dying on the cross. They will not hear how they can be reconciled to God, be certain of eternity in heaven, have God's presence filling and satisfying them and guiding them, comforting them, blessing them now. And they will leave just as much under God's judgment as when they walked in. That's what Paul's talking about. Uninterpreted tongues are a sign of God's judgment to unbelievers, and God doesn't, doesn't want that. He wants them to hear the gospel and get out of judgment by trusting him. What about prophecy? That's verses 24 and 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is a picture of how prophecy is a sign of blessing to believers. I mean, yes, obviously also to an unbeliever who gets saved here, but the point is that it shows God's blessing to the whole church. That's what's being displayed here. Now, I wanna give you an illustration of how this happened in the life of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was a very well-known pastor in London in the 1800s, okay, to our London row over there. And here's what happened. Well, he was preaching one day. He wrote this in his autobiography. While he was preaching, God revealed to him that there was someone in the church. And so Charles Spurgeon just started to speak this out. He said, there's, there's someone in the church this morning, a cobbler, someone who repairs shoes. And last Sunday, you chose to work instead of being here with God's people. And you worked, you didn't close your cobbler shop, and you only made four pence last Sunday. Are you gonna sell your soul to Satan for four pence? And then he went on. Well, the cobbler was there in church that day. And he just was immediately convicted by God, knew that God is real, God sees everything. And he put his faith in Jesus Christ, was forgiven for his sins, was reconciled to God. God poured his Holy Spirit out upon him. He was a new creation. Prophecy is a sign of God's blessing for believers because he's working with his saving power, encouraging people, saving people, touching people. That's what God could do here on Friday mornings. That's what God could do in your home group during the week. That's what God could do at your workplace during the week. So the way spiritual gifts can most powerfully impact those who don't yet trust Christ is by being understood. You need to be understood, like interpreted tongues, like prophecy, like teaching, like revelation. That's how spiritual gifts can most powerfully benefit 
those who are not yet trusting Christ, unbelievers. Okay, so we've had two challenges, right? Anybody not challenged yet this morning? Okay, we've, we've all got our challenges. For those of you who are from a more Pentecostal or charismatic background, the challenge of what does Paul say about uninterpreted tongues? And I would appeal to you that what Paul says is that tongues, the wonderful, wonderful, precious gift of tongues, when it's public, should always be interpreted. Again, if that's a new thought for you, I get how surprising that can be, and I would just encourage you to study this passage more. Let's talk more about it. Now, for those of you who are from not charismatic, not Pentecostal backgrounds, I want you to see how Paul loved the gift of tongues. He loved praying in tongues. He loved singing in tongues. He loved speaking in tongues. He thanks God that he spoke in tongues more than the others at the Church of Corinth. So let this, let this stretch you. Let this melt some of your fear or feelings of strangeness and consider, study this passage more, study all of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 more. Study this, think about this. We saw at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 why we believe that God is still giving these gifts. There is gonna be a time where they will all stop. But I think that passage clearly shows that that's when Jesus returns, which means they're still being given now. Okay, so three takeaways. Here's the first. If you are not yet trusting Jesus, if you're not yet trusting Jesus, we are so glad you are here. We, don't, we hope you don't think we're out of our minds, okay? We're glad you're here. And we're praying that through this you would see God's love, God's compassion, God's power in how he loves through Jesus to forgive us. He loves to reconcile us to himself, to reestablish relationship with him through us being forgiven through Jesus. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit and he gives spiritual gifts so we can bring great benefit and blessing to our fellow brothers and sisters in the church and to the, the needy world around us. Look at God's love purchased through Jesus' death on the cross. Look at his love and, and I, I, I pray that this morning you will turn away from whatever else you've been trusting to satisfy you and you will trust Jesus Christ Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to forgive you, to start to change you, and to satisfy you. Trust Him. Second takeaway, if your background makes you think tongues is strange, just think about how Paul spoke in tongues more than any of the rest of them. He loved the gift of tongues, and so should we. So let that, let that stretch you some. And then third, if your background involves public uninterrupted tongues, take time to study this passage, give it time, process it, pray, ask God, show me, show me your word. We want the gift of tongues here at Grace Church. But we believe that what Paul says is that when they are heard in public, they should be interpreted or no one will benefit and unbelievers could be harmed and we don't want that. So that's what the elders believe about tongues and spiritual gifts. That's the direction we're, we're moving ahead in. So, trust Jesus. Grow in loving, appreciating, understanding the gift of tongues and grow in understanding why tongues should always be interpreted.
That's the road ahead for us, Grace Church. Let's stand. I'll pray this over us. The good news is that Jesus, with his power, as we ask him for help, will help us. He will help you trust him if you're not yet trusting him. He will help you understand tongues if, if you don't understand it and it seems strange to you. He will help you see the truth about the need for interpretation if that's a new thought for you. So Father, thank you that through Jesus you will help each of us with whatever we need right now. Jesus Christ, we love you. We praise you for your death on the cross. Thank you that we can call upon you you will meet us, you will help us, you will give us everything we need. I pray that right now you'd be strengthening people who have never trusted you to trust you right now, Lord. Bring people to faith and help us as a church to grow together in what your word says about spiritual gifts so that we can bring you all the glory we possibly can here in Abu Dhabi. In Jesus' name.